So we, we talk about these things like, like it's just a number. It doesn't mean anything. And I get it. We want, we're, we're Americans. We want the superlatives, right? So like the, the unit with the highest casualty rate was clearly, you know, the most important unit here. And that's not necessarily the case. It just means they had a really, really bad day, but every, every casualty matters. So when, when you come here and, and you read monuments and they, they, a lot of them show those figures right on the monument. Yeah. Um, I just, just, wrap your mind around the fact that every single one of those tick marks represents a human being. Yeah. And, and the profound impact on the rest of their lives that being part of that statistic uh, could really be. That's what I want you to take away. Hello and welcome to the civil war regiments podcast. I am so excited to bring to you all a special new episode in honor of the 159th anniversary of the Battle of Gettysburg. I was fortunate to be in Gettysburg as part of the first Minnesota Living History events, where their famous charge was recreated on the actual ground on the day it happened. The event was a memorable one for participants and spectators alike. While I was in town, I ran into several present-day Gettysburg celebrities. While my guest would not describe himself as one, many Gettysburg enthusiasts are familiar with him. My guest is Eric Money, producer of the Addressing Gettysburg podcast, one of the most popular history podcasts out there right now. I was fortunate to set up an interview with Eric to deep dive into behind the scenes and origin stories of the podcast, as well as discuss many Pennsylvania regiments, soldiers, officers, books, and monuments at Gettysburg. This was a really fun interview, and I'm happy to share with all of you. My next guest tonight is Eric Money of the Addressing Gettysburg podcast, but welcome, Eric, to the show. Hey, thanks, Stephen. Thanks for having me on. And uh, for those of you listening, uh, this was really a, a spur-of-the-moment thing. Uh, I ran into Eric during the anniversary uh, events at Gettysburg, and uh, next thing I know, I'm, I have him on the show, and it's a real... Uh, honor and opportunity to be able to interview you. Um, I love addressing Gettysburg. I know a lot of listeners, I'm sure, love it too. So we all enjoy it. So um, I'm excited to kind of deep dive from a, a behind the scenes or another perspective uh, look because your main role on addressing Gettysburg, uh, your producer, but is it safe to say you're also co-host of the show? I don't like to put that title on myself. <laughs> uh, it, 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 it honestly, it kind of depends, Stephen. Um, if if we're doing an ask a guide, and you know, I I think I maybe have something to contribute to the conversation. I'll jump in, but not for the most yeah. part. I, I I sit here in the background, and I I run cameras and some sound equipment, and yeah, that's about it. Uh, oh yeah, so well, really a whole job. So, yeah. Go ahead. Oh yeah, well, and that's a whole job on its own. Uh, you keep uh, you keep the lights on. You keep everything working. <laughs> Try to, up. anyways. <laughs> oh, I know. I, I kind of think it's funny when um, you guys kind of do keep some of the tech stuff in the episode. It just makes it real to me. And you know, I mean, <laughs> it's, well, fun. Again, it's fun. The unfortunate part is, you know, we have that that tech stuff. Um, I, when I tell people where we record, I think they usually think I'm joking. Um, but I, we're literally in a shed in a parking lot. <laughs> so, really? So, yeah, absolutely. We we are in, we occupy a shed in the bus parking lot at the Gettysburg Visitor Center. 
Wow, but you but you guys camouflage like the bus sounds, right? Like it's not like I hear buses in the background or anything. Well, our our sound equipment is is such that you know it it yeah. really eliminates most of that. So you have you have a small setup, but you have you have good equipment. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, drive. and that makes all the difference, man. Yeah, and that's great. And as you can tell. Um, I'm in a grassroots, uh, I'm, I'm an aspiring podcaster, so I don't have all the bells and whistles yet, but I'm working on it. <laughs> Everybody's got to start somewhere, man. That's right. And I don't have, you know, uh, addressing Gettysburg has the Sam Elliott voice introduction and Battle <laughs> of Gettysburg has uh, 2001 Space Odyssey or something. So I haven't decided what I'm going to do for my intro yet. Maybe I'll do the Wizard of Oz theme song or something. I don't hey, know. there you go. I like that idea. <laughs> Maybe. I, I need to do something different. <laughs> but but man, uh, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. I thank you again for agreeing to do this. Um, so thank you very much for that. And uh, and what, uh, what I've been doing for these recent episodes is um, I've been interviewing fellow living historians, fellow enthusiasts about kind of deep diving on on what drew them what where did they begin and, and where did they find their interest and love uh, or passion for civil war history or your gettysburg or what have you and uh, where did it all begin so uh, i'd like to hear uh from you uh so where did it all begin for you where did you get interested and involved in all this so i i can't remember a time in my life when i wasn't uh, <laughs> interested in history in general um, I, I, like one of my earliest memories is my dad flipping through TV, uh, one day and he happened to pause on a channel that was playing some movie. I wish I knew what it was. Um, but these guys were firing a cannon and I saw that and I was like, Oh my God, that's amazing. Uh, and then he changed the channel. But when I was eight, uh, so this would have been 1993, right? We came down here for a family vacation for a couple of days. Um, mm. This was, you know, I, I mean, this is the summer before the movie came out, you know, um, and I, I don't remember much of the trip. Uh, I remember a handful of things pretty distinctly. Um, one, we were staying at the Holiday Inn, which is now the Inn of 1863, uh, mm. when it was still being operated as a Holiday Inn, and they had screwed up our reservations, uh, oh, shorted us a day, which aggravated my father to no end. Um, but I remember very distinctly going to Pitzer's woods and I didn't know it was Pitzer's woods at the time. Um, and they had some reenactors there. Uh, and, and that particular weekend they had a group of Confederate reenactors and they had a group of Burdan sharpshooters, uh, both mm -hmm. over there at, at Pitzer's woods. And, um, I don't know how long we spent there, but it seems to me that it might have been, you know, an hour or two. Uh, and I got to run around as an eight year old and just like check everything out. And it was fascinating to me. Um, so, of course, I got the uh, the obligatory uh, little toy wooden rifle with that, like that really crappy lock on the side of it that kind of it does slam forward for a little while but once you've done it like 30 or 40 times the springs just break and it, it just flops those, those old uh davy crockett guns or whatever Yeah, exactly man you got it you got it <laughs> and um, <laughs> the old uh the old souvenir uh kepi right when they were just oh, like pressed yeah, yeah. Uh, and they had like a flag <laughs> pasted to the top of it 
<laughs> oh man, I took those home and I played Civil War in the backyard for like months, man, for the rest of the summer. Um, but that fall, actually shortly after our trip, um, the movie came out, right? And, and the mm-hmm. movie initially was released on TNT, right? Yeah. It, it didn't yeah. go through a theater release until, I want to say it was like December of 93 or early 94, somewhere around there. Uh, after it had already had its run on TV, but I was absolutely enamored with that movie. And my, my dad taped it, you know, this is back in the days of VHS when you could just like tape whatever was on TV, but you got all the commercials with it too. So I basically wore out these two VHS tapes of Gettysburg. Uh, I watched it so many times, but it, it just, it, it got me so excited about, you know, Gettysburg specifically, but the Civil War in general. Um, and I also found out that that same summer that, you know, I had I had ancestors that were in the Civil War. I had no idea about that mm-hmm. beforehand. Um, one of them was killed here on July 1st. Uh, the other one we thought was here, uh, but we spent some time scouring the uh, the Pennsylvania Memorial looking for, uh, looking oh. first for his name, but then uh, for his regiment, right? Uh, there, there had been this story in our family that he had, he had enlisted in the 103rd Pennsylvania, but had been transferred to the second PA cavalry. Um, but he um, wasn't there. And of course the 103rd PA wasn't here. They were, they were down in the Carolinas at the time. Um, so that, that was what it was, but you know, the other yeah. guy, we found his name on, on the tablet for the 149th PA. And, and that was great. So, I mean, I got all of these, all of these things kind of snowballed in one summer uh, when I was eight years old, and it, it got me hooked. Right, mm. I, I, and I've I've not been able to really get away from it since. I had a couple of years where I swore off the Civil War. I I swore I was never going to touch another <laughs> war book again. Uh, I was going to get into World War One, and I bought a handful of books and I read some of them. The other one, I the other ones, I I still haven't cracked. Um, but I always end up coming back to civil war. So yeah, that's, that's how I got like started in all of this. Oh, it's great. And, and, you know, it's like, I've yet to meet anyone who was born in the seventies, eighties, nineties, who wasn't impacted by the movie Gettysburg for their love of history. I think anyone born before that has other things to compare it to, but I mean, all of us in some way have been affected by the movie Gettysburg and it drew us all in. And we, a lot of us may make fun of it now, but that movie brought a lot of people (laughs) interested into Gettysburg and the civil war. And And, and it still does. Like I I still meet people here who, you know, they've just watched the movie for the first time, like within the last, you know, six months, year, whatever. Um, And that got them interested in it. And you're right. We do. We like, I'm no longer a living historian, but when I was, you know, I, <laughs> you would heckle it to no end. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. If you're like in the material culture and you're really like, if you're really going to stick on, on detail kind of stuff. Yeah. Like there, uh, you have no end of, of cannon fodder for, for just like, Oh yeah. Making fun of anything <laughs> and everything, but for what it is, and it is, entertainment first and foremost based on a novel that was also meant for entertainment 
for what it is and what it does, it's a great tool. It's, it's, and I have this discussion with, you know, like guides and other historians here. It is easier to unteach things that, that they learned from, you know, the killer angels or the movie Gettysburg than it is to get somebody who is not at all interested in this stuff to be interested in it. It is so much easier to have to tell them or to, to, to try to teach somebody that, you know, they, Buford's division didn't really fight a knockdown drag out fight out on McPherson's Ridge on July 1st, right? That's just not how it played out. It's, it's much easier to do that than it is to say to some random person that, Hey, this is really important and you should be interested in this. And here's why eh, it's not going to work. It, yeah, and it is, and I, I think sometimes even people in the reenacting community can take this for granted. So, I mean, somebody, you got to start somewhere, whether sure. it's a movie like that. Like, we can't, like, you know, we can be perfectionists and all, but then you're not going to draw somebody in right away, and, and oh. something can relate to them. Whether it might be a simpler book, it might be a simpler movie or a simpler documentary, the one that I might shun or not watch much, but yet it draws a beginner in because I was a beginner at one time. <laughs> you were a beginner yeah, at one time. Was, yeah. And, and so I, I just think sometimes like, uh, you know, we can shun things too much when we have to realize, okay, they're still for a good purpose and they're still pulling people in. And then yeah. when you get involved more, then you can deep dive when it's the right time. And again, it took me a while to deep dive. Um, Absolutely. So, and I'm still deep diving, you know what I mean? And that's the thing. It doesn't matter how long you've been studying it. You're always going to learn something new every time. Absolutely. I mean, there's, there's people who have built their entire careers based on Gettysburg, <laughs> right? And even they don't know everything about this. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost unimaginable that you could spend 40 years doing nothing but studying Gettysburg. Um, yeah. Yeah. And you're still, I mean, I you're you're still not anywhere near knowing it all. Right. And it's only it's only a three-day battle. A four if you count July 4th. Right. There's just so oh. much stuff that happens in that 72 hour period. Well, 96 if you want to count the fourth. <laughs> there's, there's no end to the amount of information that you can gather yeah. onto yourself about it. Well, the way I always say it is um, there was 150,000 soldiers engaged at Gettysburg and there's mm-hmm. 150,000 individual stories. Absolutely. You know, even the dead have stories to tell. So it's like, you know, you can follow any cookie crumb trail for any soldier and they're all going to have their unique perspective. You know, I mean, you're gonna, you might have a one company of one regiment. You're going to have some guys who were scared of the battle. You're going to have some heroes or Medal of Honor winners. You're going to have some uh, cowards, guys that run away. And I just mean, you have so much individual feelings and opinions in one little company that you could research and study. There's no end to the number of rabbit holes you can fall down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's what makes it so interesting, I guess. And that's why there's there's still new books and new podcasts pumping out. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank God. Uh, So, again, you know, that's why I appreciate and um, I, I mentioned this earlier with you that, um, okay, like the 90s had the movie Gettysburg, the Ken Burns series, you know, um, uh, we've had different things that, you know, we had the big reenactments, the anniversary reenactments that drew interest for people. 
And it's almost like, what are new ways to draw people into the hype of Gettysburg? And it seems like the last couple of years has been podcasting, uh, social media podcasting that's drawing people, uh, if not first timers, if, if they're not drawing first timers in, they're drawing people together that have the same uh, likes and all that. And so uh, what you guys are doing certainly has made the Gettysburg community uh, smaller in a sense that they're all connected. And that seems to be uh, something really special. I, I, social media is a wonderful tool for <laughs> historians and historical yeah. sites, right? It, if they know how to use it, it, it can be your friend. I mean, if, <laughs> if, you look at, if you look at Facebook as just the great Satan, you know, and everybody on Facebook is a horrible human being, and you just ignore <laughs> that platform, well, you're, you're missing out on a massive, massive market because almost everybody on the planet uses Facebook. In yeah. one capacity or yeah. another, you know, I think they're, oh, yeah. I think their monthly, uh, their monthly usage is, is at something like 2.2 billion, uh, unique accounts. I, 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 oh my God, there is not another platform that you can reach that many people in a month or have the potential no. to it. No. <laughs> no. And I'll be honest with you. I joined Facebook, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, simply to get connected with reenacting. Because all the groups I had joined were like, well, go on our Facebook page or go. And, and I was like, I guess I better get on Facebook. And, and I used it primarily for keeping up with reenactments. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, I, not everybody uses Facebook the same way. You know? It's like, yeah. uh, you know, I, like I have a lot of, I have, I have a lot of people that I connect with on Facebook that are like, you know, family or, or friends oh. from many moons ago. And this is really the only way that we we keep in contact. But I see some of the stuff that those kind of people are are posting on their timelines, and some of that stuff drives me insane. Like all the political nonsense, I I can only yeah. I only have so much tolerance for that. But like what I in terms of like things that I have chosen to interact with, almost all of it is is history related stuff. You know, yeah. I, like that's I, that's what I want to see in my feed. So I've chosen to to go that route. And there's a lot of people that are like that. But exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, that leads to uh, uh, my next question is, uh, how did you get involved with the Address in Gettysburg podcast? And <laughs> were you involved in the beginning or did you come in later? How did it all work? <laughs> in the beginning, there was gotcha. a man. Uh, <laughs> so so it, it depends on when, when you... Uh, when you qualify beginning for us, um, Matt had actually started uh, the Instagram and Facebook pages mm. years ago. Uh, I think in like 2017, maybe 2016, just, I, I just, I, I, I think maybe just to get the, uh, like the names, um, for himself so that nobody else would take it. And I've done kind of yeah. the same thing with, with a project that I'm working on. Um, but he didn't really, you know, he didn't really leverage that a whole lot. I mean, he would go on and interact with it a little bit here and there. Um, the, the, the beginning, as far as most people are concerned, uh, when the first episode came out was, was June of 2019. Um, mm. I did not come on until February of 2020. And by that point, there had only been, oh, I think, I think like eight episodes released altogether. Um, two of them, two or three of them were, were, uh, uh, 
oh, our uh, our narrative episodes is what we call our narrative episodes, um, mm. where where we're basically we started out at Antietam. And we've gone through the war, at least as far as the Eastern Theater is concerned, to get up to Gettysburg, right? Um, so the first chunk was uh, Antietam to Chancellorsville, and we did one on Chancellorsville. Um, there's been two or three of them, I think, now that that uh, covered the the march to Gettysburg. So, like when when Lee leaves. Uh, and heads out and we end up at Brandy Station and Winchester and and uh, his his invasion of Pennsylvania all the way up until July 1st. And we're working on July 1st now. Um, the problem with those is they're scripted. Right. So uh -huh. the, the basic idea is it's like the it's similar to the very similar to the Burns documentary, but there's no um, there's no visual component. It's it's sure. all audio. Right. Yeah. Um, and so to to write and then record all of these things, because we also have to find, you know, uh, people who are willing to be voice actors to do uh, the various parts that are in it, um, get it all edited. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and then get all of the sound effects laid on to it. Right. And that's something that we're kind of proud of is is the quality of the sound effects that we're using. So we have a friend of ours who who. Um, he shoots NSSA uh, down at what is that Fort Shenandoah, I think, uh, down in oh, the back. Oh yeah. Um, so he's taken <clears throat> he's taken our mobile recorder out multiple times to to get <laughs> you know legitimate uh, gunfire, the sounds of that um, artillery fire, uh, you know, like the 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 zipping of bullets and whatnot. Um, so like we're really proud of that. July 1st is going to require a whole lot more um, in terms of like infantry sound effects and stuff like that. Sure. But anyways, I'm getting, I'm getting like way off on a tangent. Um, <laughs> we got maybe like five or six um, ask a guide episodes. Right. And those were originally meant to be like filler in between the narrative episodes. Right. <clears throat> because the, I, originally the narratives were going to be like, three to six months to write record and produce um we're going on like two years for the july 1st episode now um, but what we found were was that the the ask a guide episodes were were incredibly popular because like the original ones that we did it was it was a free-for-all right we would say uh, we're gonna have this guide in to record on this day send us your questions Mm -hmm. Right. And it was it was anything and everything. Right. Anything and everything Gettysburg campaign related. Um, th those questions were were good. We take them all. Um, what ended up happening was we got kicked out of our original studio because of covid. Um, oh. the, the group that we were getting space from closed their entire facility for I think it was wow. like four months. Right. So we couldn't even get in to get our equipment out. Um, thankfully we had like our, our mobile recorder and that set up. So we didn't want to stop because if you stop, you lose traction with your audience and it, it's very hard to recover from that. So oh, yeah. what we decided to do was we would shift the focus of the ask guides and we would, we would go with one specific topic, right? And the first one we did was the wheat field. 
Um, and I think it was Jesse Wheedleton and uh, Bob Steenstra were the guides for that. <clears throat> we did one on Culp's Hill with Charlie Fennell and a few other people. Uh, I think Tim Smith was on that one as well. Um, and those went over really well. You know, we, we weren't doing the whole scattershot free for all questions. It was, you know, this is the topic that we're going to cover. What are your questions about this specifically? Right. Yeah. Um, and, and that's gone very, very well for us. Uh, they, they're, they're incredibly popular. Um, what we ended up doing uh, was, was also starting a Patreon uh, because you got to pay for this somehow. Um, and, and we ended up, we've, we're doing a lot of Patreon specific content too. Now it pretty much all comes out uh, on the free feed eventually. Um, so if we, if we interview an author about their book, right, that's going to go on Patreon. And six months to a year later, it's going to come out on the free feed. But if you're a patron, you get to hear it, you know, like as soon as it comes out, as soon as it's done being edited. Um, I ended up in this, specifically me. Uh, I was I was over on Culp's Hill. And Matt and Bob had done uh, an Ask a Guide episode that morning. And Matt used to live stream parts of the recordings on um, on his Instagram page. And I had watched that. And Bob had said something about a, a particular rock formation over on over in the Culp's Hill area that I'd, I had never heard of. Um, and so I was I was over there and I, I wanted to go check that out. And I walked off into the woods and I, I, I found it and it was pretty neat. Uh, but I came back out on Geary Avenue. Um, below the party field rock uh and i started walking back up to my my jeep and uh these two guys are standing on the road talking and bob steenstra who was the co-host at the time um said something to me about my hat i was wearing a spanish american war hat at the time um oh, yeah. and we were talking and and you know by the by we, we i figured out that you know this is this is bob and matt and i introduced myself and we ended up going our, our separate ways but then that night uh i was i was messaging matt and i was like hey man do you need help uh, and, and he's like, yeah absolutely and that's that's uh that's what brought me into this so from the beginning no but pretty close Oh yeah. Well, that's a, I love hearing behind the scenes, man. And uh, so hearing the origin stories of, of how it got going and how you got involved, that's, that's a lot of fun to hear that. <laughs> and uh, I know for one, um, uh, I remember cause um, I've listened from the beginning of those and um, I know it was one of the ones where you guys were out in the field on the first day of battlefield. Mm-hmm. I, I want to say it's one of the first times I heard you, uh, um, because I was like, oh, who's uh, Eric? Like, because uh, they were talking to me. And then uh, Bob was trying to get you to talk about. Oh. He was like, uh, Eric, you tell them about what, like, what happened. And and I, I can't remember if it was the Bucktail Brigade or something on the first day. Yeah, and, we, we were out well, at uh, we were out at Herbst Woods talking about uh, McPherson Ridge. Yeah, and, um, Bob. Bob has this. Uh, has this desire to get me to speak as much as possible. 
So he was trying to get me to to tell the story of the color episode of the 149th PA. But yeah, yeah. that's that's probably the first time you you heard my voice. Oh yeah. Oh well, that's that's great, man. And and uh, uh, Bob has a has a good voice too, man. Uh, he uh, always enjoyed uh, listening to him when he was on. Um, that's yeah. great. But but man, yeah, um, I love hearing that. So I'm I'm glad you're involved. Um, I think a lot of other people are glad you're involved too. Matt needs the help, right? <laughs> <laughs> so so obviously um as we've been talking you have a passion for gettysburg and you have a particular interest in not only uh pennsylvania troops there but you have a specific interest too in the pennsylvania reserves mm-hmm. and uh and maybe we can uh dive into that um so your ancestors your or your ancestor at the first day was in the bucktail brigade Mm-hmm. Uh, but where, where did you, um, what fascinated you or drew you towards uh, digging deeper into the Pennsylvania reserves? So when I first started reenacting when I was 15, um, the, the local group was, they were Bucktails, right? They were Company K, uh, 13th Reserves, right? Mm. Um, it, it, that's something like in my, my part of Pennsylvania, the Bucktails are known, maybe not like super well known, but there's a lot of things named after them in my area and, and people just, they kind of know what, what that is. Um, so I, I started out with them and I started to dig into, you know, the, 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 the history of the bucktails specifically. But then as time went on, I, I branched out because it, did, it didn't make any sense to me to, to know about this one specific regiment and nobody else that they fought with. Um, and, and what you find when you look at the reserves is they're kind of an anomaly um, during the Civil War, right? This is this is a division that is homogenous, right? There's there's no other state represented in that entire division, right? Yeah. And there's yeah. only one time, and, and it's a very brief period of about two and a half, maybe three months where you have any outside regiments that are part of that division, like even from Pennsylvania, right? You end up with the 121st and 142nd PA that are attached to the division just before the Fredericksburg campaign, uh, because they've been so decimated uh, during the Peninsula campaign, second Manassas and Antietam that they need numbers. So they, they assign these two brand new regiments to the division. But once, once the reserves are pulled from the army and sent to, to D.C. Uh, in February of 63, those two regiments, the 121st and 142nd PA, are, are withdrawn from the division. And then they're assigned to what ends up becoming uh, Chapman Biddle's Brigade. But um, it, it, the, the reserves to me are just they're fascinating. And, and you know, they were very well known in their time right i there yeah. i i come across you know i come across accounts uh from non-reserve units talking about the reserves um and it, it it's a lot of them I, they they come off as being almost in awe of the division right I, like like these guys yeah these dudes, these guys really do fight very hard through the course of the war, uh, the course of their, their term of service. Um, and even in the post-war period, they are very well known, 
um, not even just within Pennsylvania, but but beyond the borders of the Commonwealth, um, they're known uh, just to to random people. Like that's it's not it's not a household name, but it's something akin to that. But then something happened uh, where they just kind of dropped off into obscurity, and I I don't really know why uh, that ended up happening. Uh, you you would think that that a group of of men that were as well known as they were we we would know something about or like the average civil war person would probably know something about them but most people they've never heard of them and and just the name kind of throws people off because uh, it's Pennsylvania reserves and what do we think of now when when you say reserves you think of the army reserve or the national guard yeah that's yeah not what these guys were at all and uh, for the sake of uh, uh, listeners, again, too. Uh, so, yeah, what what does it mean by the Pennsylvania Reserve uh, Corps, and and where did that begin? Why is it that way? All right. Well, I'll give you the Cliff's Notes version. Yeah. Um, so, Fort Sumter happens, right? Um, Lincoln puts out his call for volunteers. Pennsylvania's quota is set at, I think. 12 or 13 regiments of infantry. Well, they had way more volunteers than that. And eventually the war department did, did end up accepting 25 regiments um, from Pennsylvania uh, for 90 days service. But, but Andrew Curtin, who was the governor at the time uh, had kind of come to the conclusion that this war probably wasn't going to last three months. At some point, the government was probably going to come calling for more volunteers and it's easier to try to retain some of these guys who already have that 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 fire in their bellies to go fight the rebels on hand uh, than if you were to send them home and guys come back from the front and talk about how how god awful war is. You're probably going to have a harder time recruiting those men back. Um, so so the the Pennsylvania legislature was was in uh, recess at the time. Uh, Governor Curtin called them back for an emergency session and and basically laid it out for them. Um, and what he wanted was a a core of state or of, of of men in state service that could be forwarded to uh, the federal government if they were required. Um, and the the basic idea for them while in state service was that they were they were ostensibly to protect the border of Pennsylvania against incursion. Um, and a lot of people don't think about this, but at the time, uh, Virginia and Pennsylvania shared a pretty substantial border uh, mm-hmm. out in, in southwestern and western PA, right? The, the border of Virginia, uh, that part of it, which is now West Virginia, extends mm-hmm. north of Pittsburgh, right? So it, you, you have this, this large border with a state that's in open rebellion, you have to have something to protect against a possible incursion. Uh, and that's kind of the way he spun it to the legislature. And, and they agreed. Um, they passed an act in May of 1861 to fund a corps of 13 regiments of infantry, one artillery and one of cavalry. Um, so they, they, they kept those recruits, the rest of them they sent home. Um, and that becomes the reserves. Now the name Pennsylvania reserve volunteer Corps, um, is, is basically just a description of that. They are (laughs) reserve volunteers, 
um, from Pennsylvania, right? These are guys that were, they were extra volunteers at the beginning of the war that Pennsylvania retained on their own state payroll um, just in case the government came knocking. And they did uh, in July of 61. Gotcha. Wow. Well, that's a good summary right there. You need to you need to do one of those like American Battlefield Trust, uh, explain to Pennsylvania Reserves in like two minutes, uh, kind of thing. <laughs> so the last time I did a podcast about the reserves, I have I have uh, some friends of mine that that have uh, the History Things podcast. Um, they had me on to go record specifically about the reserves, and it oh, ended up being a four hour long. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which hasn't come out yet. It's going to end up being either later this year or next year sometime. Um, a four-part miniseries. It, I, and I did not get as detailed as I thought I probably should have, but I did what I could. Well, that's that's what we history people go through. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> oh, man, but no, that's great. And and so, uh, well, uh, getting into uh, some Gettysburg uh, talk then. So, so right before or at the outset of the Gettysburg campaign, they're in D.C. Correct. and they're independent command in D.C. pretty much. Um, they're, I, they're, they, they fall under the, the defenses of Washington. Sure. I think that's sure. the 22nd Corps. I think gotcha. that's Steve Fan would kill me for not knowing that. But uh, <laughs> Well, so, you know, uh, one thing I actually just came across recently, and I've been trying to deep dive into uh, the various regiments in Gettysburg. And one thing that always uh, – because – uh, I grew up as a kid, like probably a lot of other crazy history kids, trying to memorize the entire order of Battle of Gettysburg, and <laughs> I couldn't get enough of that. And I, you know, I would always, you know, keep up with the brigades, and I'd be like, it, it would always, I'd always slip up because uh, I think it's just what the third, the first brigade and the third brigade are at yeah. Gettysburg, and so I'd always be like, well, wait a minute, like is that a typo? And I kept looking and be like, oh, that must be a typo. It's probably first and second brigades. And then after a while, you know, I find out, oh, oh, there was another brigade. Yeah. It just wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And uh, in recent studies, I, I knew that, you know, as I got older, but in recent studies, I was like, you know what? I want to dig into those guys and see what was their perspective or point of view, um, kind of similar to uh, uh, Stannard's Vermont Brigade. Um, I read some of those regiments that didn't get engaged and how upset mm -hmm. they were. And so I read those accounts. Uh, and so was it, was it Horatio Sickle, the brigade commander? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sickle, Sickle is the, Sickle's the commander of the second brigade, which is the third, fourth, seventh and eighth reserves. And so, so what happens is at the beginning of the Gettysburg campaign, you have the army moving North. Um, the reserves have been in the defenses of Washington since, since February. Right. So we're in, you know, early June now, early mid June. Um, <clears throat> George Meade, who's in command of the Fifth Corps at this point, and John Reynolds in command of the First Corps, uh, had started out the war as brigade commanders in the reserves. Um, mm -hmm. Each of them eventually commanded the division. Um, but they start petitioning the War Department to have the reserves sent to them, right? And so uh, at the beginning of the, the Gettysburg campaign, the Fifth Corps is only two divisions. Right. It's it's um, it's it's just uh, Sykes, uh, who's got the regulars uh, and then um, Barnes, who has the first division. <clears throat> well, the first corps has three divisions. 
Right. So the War Department, uh, well, and then the Second Reserves actually <laughs> end up the, their officers petition the the War Department directly. There's, yeah. And they more or less, hey, let us go home and fight. Like this is ridiculous. This is our home state. Let us go home to fight. Uh, and so eventually the War Department relents. But the condition is that one of the three brigades has to remain in the defenses of Washington. That ends up being the second brigade. Uh, the third, fourth, seventh, and eighth. Um, and they never actually rejoin the division. Um, the seventh and eighth reserves come back to the division in, I think it's May of 64. It's either late April or early May of 64, right before the end of their term of service. But the third and fourth never come back. Um, <laughs> they, they end up going, um, they end up going down the valley in 64. Uh, the third and fourth reserves fight at Cloyd's mountain um, the seventh and eighth eventually come back and they're, they're part of the division for, uh, the Overland campaign or the, the part of the Overland campaign that the, the reserves take part in. Um, but their, their stories diverge ve like very, very widely Wow. Uh, after mid June of 63. Um, so anyways, <clears throat> George Meade gets the two brigades of the reserves assigned to his corps. Um, and I, I was just having this discussion the other day. Stannard's brigade was also in the defenses of Washington. Um, and they also That's are right. up here because of the Gettysburg campaign. Um, and, and it's my opinion and the opinion of some other people uh, who would you know, be knowledgeable on this, that Stannard was sent to the first corps as kind of a consolation prize. Oh, okay. You couldn't okay. get the reserves, but you know, here's something, you know, here's a little something for your troubles. Have some Vermonters. Wow. Well, you know, um, on that, on that note, uh, of the Vermonters there, um, and that was their last big battle before they got mustered out pretty much. Right. Yeah. And, but, uh, two of those regiments, um, the 12th and 15th, uh, are not engaged in Gettysburg, but yeah. I found this hilarious story of those two, like they were left behind with the wagon trains. And that was their orders. But when Sickles' third corps marches through, um, I think one of the colonels is talking with Sickles, and, and Sickles kind of says, "Well, you know, hey, one of you like, well, why, why don't you guys come with me or something? Like, just join me on the march. Let's go." And you know, Sickles causing trouble, right? <laughs> no, but no. So, but like the two regiments get their adjutants, whatever, to do a, a roll. Uh, they do a roll to see how many men each have, and the bigger regiment will go, the smaller will stay behind. And so they immediately, both regiments go counting from man down. And, um, and I remember like they have a recount, like, uh, I think, uh, I want to say is the, the 15th is the one that won. And, uh, I could be wrong, but, uh, one of them wins but then like the Colonel, the other regiment makes the adjutant do a recount. Like, are you serious? <laughs> we have to be bigger than them. Recount now. Come on. And, but I remember, so the one, the winner follows Sickles third Corps. They get all the way up there um, to Gettysburg. And I, I want to say on the evening of the first day or whatever, standards mm -hmm. guys were at Cemetery Hill or nearabouts and um, or on the morning of the second. <laughs> and, and so this 15 for 12 or whichever one gets there and they're all happy. They're there and all their buddies and the other regiments are happy they're there. But then finally somebody comes out, hey, you guys are not supposed to be here. Your orders are to be in the rear. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, 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 but we wanted to help with the fight. But like, they didn't get a glorious reception. They got told, yeah. you got to go back. 
<laughs> and they were like so upset. But like the, I think it was right before it was near about when Longstreet's advance was beginning on the second day, I think, because like they start slowly, like the way to describe it is they slowly march away, like almost hoping <laughs> that, that the battle will start. And but like you hear cannons in the calls. distance, and they halt. They halt to see, like, oh, uh, like, do you need us? Do you need us? And they're like, no, 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 keep going. And and they end up going like all the way down past the round tops, and they go all the way back to where we were. But I just thought it was hilarious just hearing the perspectives of a reserve unit in the battle. <laughs> it, um, you know, I'm at a point too where the deeper you dive, you know, you hear all about all the guys who fought the battle. But it's kind of interesting to hear the guys who didn't fight it and what they were doing. And so that cracked me up just hearing that. Well, I mean, if you if if you're into that sort of thing and you you pick up a copy of Pennsylvania at Gettysburg. Um, Read the dedication speech for the 84th PA, right? They have a monument. Oh, yeah, yeah, right yeah. They weren't there either. Yeah, no, they weren't. They were, uh, they were down in Tawny Town, I think, at the time, maybe Westminster. Yeah. But they were never here. Um, but they still have a monument right next yeah. to the memorial. Yeah. Um, but it's it's one of the more, um, anti-confederate uh inflammatory speeches given here and there are a fair few that are oh yeah meant, yeah. but um for for guys that weren't even here man it's <laughs> a hell of a speech um yeah that, it kind of reminds you um a random reference it kind of reminds you of that part in band of brothers when that that guy that gets shot in the airplane and uh oh, yeah, i can't yeah. remember his name cobb and yeah. And he's he's chewing out the new recruits and saying like, "Hey, you guys weren't in Normandy and all that." And <laughs> and then uh, the sergeant comes up and you you weren't in Normandy either. And I don't know. It kind of reminds me of that. They're just like I, they're probably trying to get a piece of the pie, I guess. <laughs> um, well, they, I mean, that, it, that, that's uh, Captain Thomas Merchant, and he's I, I he he doesn't he doesn't try to make the claim that that they were at Gettysburg. I mean, you couldn't, oh, you couldn't yeah, refute yeah, that. Yeah. They weren't here, but uh, he does try to, um, he does try to sell you on the notion that, you know, being in Westminster and guarding the trains um, was as important or maybe more important than, than actually being in the battle and fighting. And I don't know how many people bought that at the time, um, but that was, that was what he was. He was desperately trying to do that with that speech. Yeah, no, that's that's funny. I and I enjoyed. I I read Pennsylvania Gettysburg, and it's um, is it three volumes or two volumes? It was two volumes, right? Depends on which edition you get. Yeah, <laughs> I, the, I read the online version, so it was like a <laughs> online PDF version, which um, I do what I have to do sometimes. <laughs> there's there's four at least four separate editions. Um, yeah. There's the the original one and then a 1904 edition. Each of those are are two volumes. Gotcha. Um, there's a later one, I think 1911 or 14, that is three. Um, and then and I don't know what edition this is, but there is one that is four volumes. Wow. Um, and I've I've only ever seen it once, but I haven't been able to go through it. I don't know what all is included in those extra two. Um, but like I have a 1904 edition and that, that suits me fine. Well, I, I love them. And uh, that one and New York at Gettysburg or the final report of oh. New York and Gettysburg, those two 
series are are the best. Um, I frequently, I have downloaded PDF versions of both, and but they're they're just great references, and um, yeah, I love them. And but, what's uh, interesting is most states that have monuments here have their own version of that. Um, yeah, yeah. There's a little one. Like I found a, a small one, like Illinois at Gettysburg. Yeah, um, absolutely. I have Gettysburg. I have not got a copy of Illinois at Gettysburg yet. I haven't found one for sale. Um, okay. But yeah, there's there's Illinois, Michigan, Maine. Yeah. Uh, Connecticut. Massachusetts. Yeah. Um, New Jersey, New Jersey Ohio, yeah. uh, PA, New York. And I know I'm missing one or two others, but oh, Delaware. Delaware has one. It's a pamphlet. Right. Because there's a, I don't when they think, uh, their monuments, there's only two of them. I don't recall. Um, is there a Massachusetts one? I don't think there is. No, there's not. Um, and I think I've I seen always it. use I always use the Bates uh, book, um, uh, Massachusetts in the War, or um, I think that's what it's called. He did there was there yeah. is a book, but it's just a generic, you know, history, not Gettysburg. Yeah. Right? Um, and there is a Vermont. Uh, there is a Vermont version. It's not called Vermont at Gettysburg. I, I forget what the title is, but oh, um, one of the like, coolest ones I found for Vermont. I'm sorry, is uh, yeah, yeah. I think it's like a pictorial history of the 13th Vermont. Okay, and it's a beautiful book, and and uh, I want to say it was made in the early 1900s. I found it through uh, Happy Trust, and but uh, it's full, full of pictures. Like, I mean, it was a pictorial guide, and yeah. and that's where I found the accounts of the wagon train. But so even though it was called the Pictorial History of the 13th, it had all the regiments of the brigade in that book, and it was okay. full of like hundreds of pictures. Uh, I haven't come across that, but I, man, I love Hathi Trust. That is a yeah. phenomenal resource. If you're yeah, if that you're between that a, Internet Archive, yeah. uh, uh, Cornell, Harvard, <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I love using all those resources. Oh my gosh! Um, yeah, so they, it helps me. It helps me with all those rare books. Believe me. But uh, I had fun trying to find uh, some hard copies of some of those books when I went to Gettysburg just now. So, See, and I, but, I collect, so like I'm trying to find hard copies of all of them. Um, but some of them are, I, it's almost like trying to find hen's teeth, like uh, Illinois oh, yeah. at Gettysburg. I've yet to see a copy of that for sale. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's a pretty small one because there wasn't many Illinois oh. Frenchmen. It's just, uh, but yeah, I love, pamphlets, you know, yeah, that's great. Well, you know, uh, we're talking about books, and we talked about a lot of titles here, and I always try to put a lot of these titles in the show notes afterwards. But speaking uh, of books, you know, are there um, some particular favorites uh, besides some of the ones you named? Uh, are there some particular favorites you have about Pennsylvania, Gettysburg, or yeah. any, any overall Gettysburg book that might, might be your favorite? So I... I um... I don't really do the whole like campaign study anymore. Um, mm -hmm. I have read the, like uh, Coddington. I've read multiple times. Uh, Harry Fonza's series. I've read oh, that yeah. multiple times. Um, they're both, they're both excellent. I mean, Coddington is, oh man, 60 years old now. So it's, <laughs> it's kind of dated. And I mean, some of the things or some of the conclusions he comes to, wouldn't really hold up now, but there's been so much more information that's come out in the last six decades. Um, Fonz was, was much more recent. We're, we're talking uh, late nineties, early two thousands when, when he was publishing 
um, his books, but uh, he never got around to doing July 3rd, right? He did the mm-hmm. first day, the second day, Culp's Hill and Cemetery Hill. Um, I think he was taking a break um, and he ended up dying, right? Oh, so wow. He, he didn't do a third day. Um, yeah. But um, I tend to get into um, either primary sources or secondary sources, but but they're, they're secondary sources written by the veterans, right? Okay. So like regimental histories, I consider that sure. a secondary source. Sure. Um, sure. So like we already talked about Pennsylvania at Gettysburg. That's, that's a great resource. Maybe not, uh, maybe not great for like reading cover to cover. Um, <laughs> that, yeah. that might end up it's killing a good rap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, uh, uh, the history of the Bucktails, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. I love that regimental history. And it's not just because I have a particular interest uh, in in that regiment specifically or the reserves. Um, it is just really well written uh, for, for having been published in 1905. It's, it is an easy read, but it's also it's- heavily footnoted. Right. Oh wow, that's good. There, there are there are pages in that book where maybe, you know, the top quarter of the page is the actual narrative. The other three quarters of the page <laughs> is a footnote, just one long footnote. And and I mean, it's the the whole book is like this. There are that's very rare, yeah, for that time. Yeah, I mean, if if they are, if they're using information from a particular report. On this page, they, they will let you know exactly what report and, and what where they are talking about in that report that this came from, right? It, it's a phenomenal resource if you're if you're into that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, another really good one that I like, not super heavily footnoted. I mean, there are some citations in it, but for the most part, um, it's just a it's it's a good narrative and it's a neat story. Is uh, Soldiers True? It's the regimental history of the 111th Pennsylvania. Um, which is another unit that I'm interested in. But um, yeah, absolutely. 12th and then uh, eventually 20th Corps. That's you know, right. And they start out, uh, they start out in the Harpers Ferry and Lower Valley area. Uh, they end up fighting at Cedar Mountain and then they're attached to the 12th Corps. Right. Uh, yeah. So they, they have a little bit different story than than a lot of the Army of the Potomac regiments where they don't start out with the Army of the Potomac. They're they are out in western Virginia uh, mm-hmm. kicking around in the valley uh, before they they end up coming in. Um, I, so those are those are two really good, at least in my opinion, uh, regimental histories. You've also got a pretty good one about the. Uh, the second reserves it's called what is that our campaigns uh, okay. by, yeah. by em woodward who was the the adjutant right. reserves um that's a pretty well written one too um and that one's neat because they talk about uh they talk about uh having this presentation sword done up for john reynolds and they hadn't had a chance to present it to him yet so they actually oh, bring wow. it along with them to gettysburg uh, and they find out on July 2nd that, that John Reynolds has been killed. Uh, so they end up sending, uh, it's a sergeant from Company E out to Philadelphia to give it to his family instead. Um, because I, I mean, clearly, you know, they're not going to give it to him at this point. Um, 
but that sword is is lost as far as i'm aware right there's yeah. a there's there's wow. a presentation sword for reynolds that's out there but it's not this one it's it's gotcha. an earlier one that was actually presented to him um but they have a really good description of what this sword looked like in their regimental history, along with the story of, you know, how they brought it to Gettysburg and how, how they ended up having to send it out to Philly to be presented to his family and all that. Um, so if like, we can't see it. And I mean, if any of your listeners know where this sword is and what it looks like, please, by all means, send, send it to me. I'd love to see where it is and, and what it looks like. But, you know, without that, you've at least got, the written description of it and it sounds incredibly ornate well you know i mean uh, disney is making a new indiana jones movie maybe we need to phone disney and uh, it will be indiana jones in the search of the missing <laughs> Reynolds sword Either that or it'll end up being the uh, the third national treasure movie when they get around to doing that <laughs> um, but outside of that i mean I, and this one's not gettysburg specific but uh, a guy named Uzal Ent did a uh, an overall history of the reserves uh, about 20 years ago, and it's it's a phenomenal book. I, there was one done during the war. Uh, a guy named Josiah Cipher uh, started in in 1864, right after they were mustered out of service, and started compiling this history of the division. And then there wasn't another one done until. Um, and started doing it in the late 90s and he finally published it i think it was like oh 2000 maybe 2002 somewhere around there um but he had the benefit of being able to draw from all the uh all the regimental histories um all of the reports uh that are available anyways uh and compiling all of this into something that's a little bit easier to read than than cypher's book that was published in 1865 um so that that's another good one. Um, Uzal Ent's uh, history of the reserves, but yeah, I, I mean, I we can talk about all kinds of books, but yeah, that's what that's kind of what I focused on. <laughs> well, you know, uh, um, there's one that I have, and I think it's pretty frequently available in a lot of Gettysburg gift shops as a reprint, and, and it's the history of Company K. Of oh the yeah, reserves, and I always um, I got a hold of that booklet years ago. Um, one of the reprints and I've always enjoyed it, but I've always enjoyed the account of Isaac Dunbarrow, or if I have that name, right. The guy who Isaac got the, the ripped off his back. Yeah. Or he's the, he's in that group photo. He's the Sergeant on the end, the kind of shorter Sergeant. Mm. Um, anyway, but he wrote that whole account of trying to visit his family during the battle of Gettysburg. Oh, Derberoff. And, oh, oh yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah I've, <laughs> and well, uh, how was it what how you pronounce it uh durbra durbra okay and uh so so i love that story of him trying to go visit and like he's dodging snipers and he rolls into the like a, a flower bed like all this all this adventure trying to get into a, his mm -hmm. mom's house and and uh, he gets in there and she doesn't recognize him and oh that's, that's the uh that's the minic one that's Captain Minnick who's talking about that, because um, he oh, lived on yeah. uh, on Middle Street at the time. Yeah, it's uh, isn't that a isn't that a phenomenal account? That's oh, I love it. And I he talks it. about like the guy who was going up the street in front of him got shot. Yeah, uh, and so yeah. like he, he's just he's having to basically juke and jive his way down uh, 
middle street to get to his parents house and he's only got to go a block from baltimore street over over to what is now washington uh his parents live right there on the corner um and you're right you know he gets he gets into the garden uh he goes into the house and through the back entrance uh and his family's been sheltering in the basement this whole time his sister comes up uh and she meets him first and she doesn't recognize him and he he doesn't he doesn't like give himself away you know he 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 says hey i yeah. I'd like yeah. something to eat so she takes him down <laughs> to the basement and his whole family's in the basement and they don't recognize this man uh, and his mother starts making him food and it's not until she like goes to give him the food that she recognizes that this is her son uh, and then she gives him hell for it like why yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious <laughs> I, I love and uh, and you know I I forgot to explain myself for those of you listening you know uh, so yeah Company K of the First Pennsylvania Reserves was was organized right there in, in Gettysburg I um, mean I guess the whole company right um uh, the whole well, they're, company they're, they're they're Adams County um, overall right so oh, I God. I don't live in Gettysburg I live about fifteen minutes north of town uh, and I've got a I've got a uh, cemetery you know, maybe 200 yards from my house. It's been there basically as long as the town has. Um, but there's a bunch of company K guys that are buried up there gotcha. uh, to include uh, Sergeant blocker. Right. And, and, you know, because you've seen the book, the, 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 the whole book is maybe what, like a hundred pages, 120. Yeah, very pages? short, very short, book. very short. And, and the narrative history of, of the company is maybe like half of that. You know, and yeah. then you've got all of it's, these different vignettes uh, from from their time yeah. in service. Very just, you know, it, yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. But then it's easy uh, reading. I mean, it's yeah, kind of it compelling really reading. To have these neat little vignettes like that that are just so cool and yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's really neat. And, and, and you can crush that book in in one sitting. I, I yeah, you know, it can take you like maybe an hour or two to read the whole book. It's it's nothing. It, it's it's a fantastic read but then in the very back you've got uh it, it's you know in like most regimental histories they have the muster roll in the back right well these guys have that but they also have a description uh of every man of the company right so everybody's got at least a paragraph talking about them uh and and their time in the service but it's not like you know, he was mustered in on this date, mustered yeah. out with company on this date. You know, they're, they're talking about uh, this person is a human being, uh, yeah. which is fantastic stuff. And uh, um, one of my other favorite books, which is anybody who likes Gettysburg, uh, one of their favorites is Early Photography at Gettysburg. And he zooms in on, on, on that picture of Company K and yeah. he has it numbered, each guy numbered, and he has like a little paragraph about each guy in that photograph and what yeah. happened to them later and who they were related to, where their family was, or what how. And it's just really cool um, to deep dive into that. Yeah, that 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 one is a really good uh, that is a really good book to get into is the history of Company K. And you can pick it up for like, you know, five, ten bucks. Yeah, it's not too bad. And yeah. um uh, but to to backtrack uh, just a little bit, um, so you said that um, you had an ancestor in the 149th that was yeah. killed on the first day, mm-hmm. but 
do you have any um, knowledge about uh, what happened to him exactly? And did anyone else in the regiment write about him in his final moments or anything? Do you have? No, I, I, and I've been looking for, oh man, 25 years for, for something. Yeah. Right? Even, I, yeah. Like even, even on ancestry, I can only mm-hmm. find like two federal censuses that he's included on. And, and, uh, like his his the the widow's pension from his wife uh but other than that like there's basically nothing out there this dude was born uh he was counted in two censuses uh went into the army and he was killed that's basically it Um, what's his name uh reuben stover uh company h 149th pa uh and and we don't even really know the disposition of his remains uh most of most of the guys from from the 149th PA uh, were buried as unknowns in the National Cemetery um, because they laid out there for four days. Right? Yeah. And yeah. the guys that went back to bury them were not from their brigade. They weren't from their regiment. I, I think it's uh, I think it's part of Biddle's brigade, actually, that goes out um to to bury them initially oh wow and so like there's a handful of guys who are identified right captain sofield of company a uh and he's got a horrible story uh also edwin dimmick and corporal nathan wilcox also of company a both of them um they are all killed by the same artillery round oh Um, wow they were they were in the ditch along the chambersburg pike uh, trying to shelter from incoming artillery from Harris Ridge. The round buried itself underneath Captain Sofield, uh, exploded, uh, killed Dimmick and Wilcox. And according to Captain Bossler of Company C, uh, it cut Captain Sofield in half uh, and it left his heels in contact with his head. Um, so like the, wow. he's buried um, under his own name, but the overwhelming majority of them are buried as unknown uh, okay. 149th PVI. Uh, and they know the regiment because, well, a, they, most of them are wearing bucktails at this point, but B um, almost all of them had uh, the, the regimental numbers on their hats at the time. Gotcha. Okay. So odds are, for all you know, um, you can only hope that he's included in that unknown section. Yeah, and okay. I would say almost certainly he is. Um, most of the Gettysburg dead from the 149th PA are accounted for. Um, I can only, I, I think there's one or two maybe that haven't been so far. But yeah, he, he's almost certainly buried uh, as an unknown in the Pennsylvania section. Wow. Well, that's interesting. Well, maybe one of these days, um, maybe one of these days you'll find something more about him and the sword. So. <laughs> or maybe he's the one who got the sword. Okay. Yeah, he took the sword with him. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I uh, know we're, we're winding down and, and I have a couple of other just uh, quick questions for you. And um, one is. Do you have a particular favorite monument at Gettysburg and not counting the Pennsylvania monument, Pennsylvania memorials, <laughs> of course, is one of the grandest, uh, most beautiful ones on the field, but like maybe, maybe a regimental level monument. Is there one that's really 
striking to you? All right. So I tried to narrow it down for you because I don't have <laughs> one specific one. Um, the 10th reserves, uh, they, I mean, they're not super involved in fighting here, but they just have a really nicely put together monument. Uh, base, uh, the entire thing is cast bronze. Uh -huh. It's, it's fantastic. Um, just from a design perspective, um, the, the monument to the 118th Pennsylvania that's up on Big Round Top. They have three here. The one that's on Big Round Top, um, I really like. Again, just just for its simplicity and its its composition. Right? These are these are classically done Victorian era monuments. And that's the that's the corn exchange, right? Yeah, yeah, that's the yeah. Corn and they exchange. got they're the only ones with the ears of corn on their monument, right? Yeah, and uh, and they have it on two of the three. They yeah. Uh, the one to the 74th Pennsylvania out on Howard Avenue. Um, that one is, you know, it's, it's a color bearer and he's, oh, he's right. wounded yeah. and he's kind of yeah. reclining, but he's holding the colors up still. Mm -hmm. I, I love that one. I think that's great. Um, yeah. And the one to the 124th New York, I, again, it's a, it's just a really nicely done, well-designed put together monument. Well, you know, um, the, oh, yeah, all those are beautiful. And, and I took my family, um, half my family came with me to Gettysburg uh, this past weekend and they hadn't been in 18 years. And the thing that was striking the most to them was just the beauty of all these monuments. And they're like, wow, the time that went into these and just how magnificent so many of them look. Um, it really is something it really, and it really helps. And I know, I know like sometimes we can go to battlefields, obscure battlefields that don't have any monuments at all. And, but they're mm -hmm. still important. But yeah. there is something about a monument like that that really just helps give you a visual of what happened there. And you kind of yeah. understand. Um, I, I appreciate them and I love I mean, I love spending time looking at all of them. <laughs> and oh, uh, every time I go up there, I'm taking as many pictures as I can. So I really appreciate <laughs> all that. Um, so on the topic of Battlefields 2 there, uh, curious question for you. So besides Gettysburg, what are some of your favorite other battlefields, whether it's an obscure battlefield somewhere, a skirmish, a minor skirmish nearby, or do you have another favorite battlefield that you like to go visit? I love Antietam. Um, mm. <clears throat> I love Antietam because it is, it is so well preserved. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I, it doesn't hurt that most of the units that I'm really interested in fight at Antietam too. Uh, and they play a pretty significant role in it. Um, it just, just from an overall standpoint, it's, you can go to Antietam and see what it was like more or less, uh, in 1862, when you come to Gettysburg, you've got the whole center of the, uh, the union and Confederate lines that's now town, right? So like, how do you process that in your mind's eye to figure out, okay, well, this is. I know this is what I'm seeing here, but this is what should have been here. And you're trying to make sense of that with, with overall movement. So I love Antietam uh, mm -hmm. from, from that aspect. Um, also Andersonville. And I realize that's not a battle, but Andersonville, I've, I've been there uh, three or four times. And uh, it's, it's that's not an easy one to get to. <laughs> no, it's not. But um, when I was in the army, I, I was fortunate enough to be, uh, in the infantry and the home of the infantry is Fort Benning, Georgia. So it's like a 50 mile drive. Yeah, so I'd go to Fort Benning for schools and I, I, you know, on the weekends drive over to, to Andersonville. So that was a really neat experience, but that place is, is it's, 
it, it it's weird. Like, I don't want to sound like, uh, like, uh, uh, somebody who's big on supernatural stuff or anything like that. But every time I go there, I just get this like profound sadness, right? Just I, the, the place yeah, yeah. kind of oppressive, uh, just, just in and of itself. Um, so I, I do, I really like Andersonville too. <laughs> Well, I, I have to I have to agree with you on that. Um, not that I go too frequently <laughs> to Andersonville, but the couple times I've been, it, it is remarkable. It is you do get depressed after a while of being yeah. there. I mean, you feel it, especially if you go in the POW museum inside and mm-hmm. and a, a lot. But like, uh, so I did a living history down there too. Okay. And funny thing is, <laughs> doing a living history there, like it doesn't take long where you kind of just feel like you're starving and <laughs> you just start feeling like, okay, I've been to plenty of reenactments where I felt miserable at one point or another, but, but at Andersonville, you do get that isolated feeling very yeah. quickly. Really and, do. and for me, I mean, uh, having to drive, like for me, it was about a, uh, I can't remember four or five hour drive. And it just feels like I'm driving middle of nowhere, Georgia. And that part of Georgia is still very untouched. Yeah. Um, you really feel like, wow, these guys were out in the middle of nowhere. And it's breathtaking, too, when you walk around the corner and you have the, the 10,000 cemetery, uh, 10,000 or so men buried in the cemetery and all Absolutely. those heads. Down. Yeah, um, they're, they're, they're all packed so tightly together. I mean, yeah. it's like, a, like an inch or two, maybe, between headstones. It's, it's, it's wild. Like I, I've never been to Arlington. I haven't been to Normandy, uh, the cemetery in, in Normandy. And for me, that's the best that I've had to compare that to. When I go to Andersonville, you see those thousands of, of headstones, and it's just shocking. And um, it really is something, and it is worth a visit if you haven't been. It, it's worth going down. You know, it doesn't have all the dramatics of a battle uh, battlefield but it is men died there men suffered there and it's still worth Lots. paying a visit to and, and paying respects to and so uh um that's a good one that surprised me i didn't i didn't expect you to pull that one out that's that's a <laughs> that's an interesting one i do what i can yeah <laughs> well wow well that's great I'm, I'm glad to hear all those and uh so um as a final note uh, a parting word you know as um, I'm sure there's still a few tourists on July 4th holiday uh, scouring over the battlefield of Gettysburg this week. And, um, you know, as always, there's always somebody there for the first time, um, mm-hmm. whether however they got there. But what would you like as a Gettysburg student yourself? What, what, what do you want people to understand and take home with them after visiting the Gettysburg battlefield? So this is this is something that that I've been I've been on this kick lately. We hear, you know, historians and guides and rangers and, and like the average person throw around um, statistics, right? Just these cold numbers, mm-hmm. right? and and people will say, and I've heard this. Um, I've heard somebody say in the same breath, well, that regiment only had 20% casualties, but I'm really interested in the human, or or, or, I really try to focus on the human and interest aspects of the war. And it's like, well, that is part of the human interest aspect. Only 20% casualties. That means one in every five guys in that regiment was a casualty. And 
it doesn't matter if it's one or, or 350, that one person was a person. Yes. So that, that death, maybe even wounding or, or capture had a profound impact on somebody. Yes. Whether it was the soldier themselves or their family or, or even their messmate. Right. Mm -hmm. Being captured. Right. We talk about, you know, guys being, um, being captured and, you know, like it's just, you know, you go, you go camp, you know, in Richmond for a couple of months. Well, big deal. Right. Well, we were just talking about Andersonville. That's not necessarily the case. Um, yeah. There, there's a guy in the 13th reserves who spent six weeks at Libby prison and it destroyed his mental well-being. Uh, so much so that, that he, he was discharged on a surgeon certificate in December of 63 uh, for chronic diarrhea. And by August of 64, he shot himself. He just couldn't take it anymore. Um, and his friends are talking about, you know, uh, when he when he got exchanged, and he came back to the regiment. He would have these fits of delirium where he was basically hallucinating that he was covered in bugs. And he's like trying to get these these invisible lice and bugs off of him for hours at a time. Oh, my right? God. And there's nothing wrong with him. So we, we talk about these things like. Like, it's just a number. It doesn't mean anything. And I get it. We want, we're, we're Americans. We want the superlatives, right? So like the, the unit with the highest casualty rate was clearly, you know, the most important unit here. And that's not necessarily the case. It just means they had a really, really bad day, but every, every casualty matters. So when, when you come here and, and you read monuments and they, they, a lot of them show those figures right on the monument. Yeah. Um, I just, just, wrap your mind around the fact that every single one of those tick marks represents a human being. Yeah. And, and the profound impact on the rest of their lives that being part of that statistic uh, could really be. That's what I want you to take away. <laughs> wow. Hey, the, that's beautifully said, Eric. Thank you uh, for that. And it's so true. It's so true. And, and I'll admit that, in my early days of deep diving, uh, I yeah, I would I would s skip over a regiment like oh that brigade only had like fifty casualties oh sure. you know, but then but then yeah the more you get, it's like wait a minute yeah yeah I mean there's somebody hurting yeah a messmate a mother a father a sister a brother a spouse I mean we're uh, all guilty of it right I even yeah. I, I I still do that too right, from time to time you have to continually remind yourself of this but that I it. It takes a little bit of work, but if you can, yeah. you yeah. know, hang on to that little bit and, yeah. and just remember that as you go around here. Yeah, that's that's well said. Well said. And uh, yeah, if you're uh, hopefully I post this uh, in the next day or so, if you're still in Gettysburg and you listen to this, take that home with you and or, or on your next visit to any battlefield, Gettysburg or wherever. Um, keep that in mind. So, well, but. Eric, uh, wow, uh, this has been a great conversation, man. Uh, time has flown by fast. Um, thank you so much. This is this is yeah, great. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Stephen. I really appreciate it. This is fun. Yeah, no, uh, and I, I love spur of the moment uh, fun like that too. This uh, it was a pleasure to meet you the other day, and um, and uh, it was an honor for me to be in Gettysburg uh, to help recreate the first Minnesota. 
Um, I can't say, by the way. Oh, it's amazing. And people are loving the pictures and videos as they go. And and then that one, I don't know if you saw the one somebody just posted uh, side by side of that aerial uh, sketch. Um, I can't yeah. remember if that was like or um, it, it's a painting uh, of yeah. an aerial view of the first missile charge. And they did a drone shot of our the liberty rifles uh do it and it like matches perfectly i saw that that was it was and, pretty impressive <laughs> and then that storm blowing through that storm was as savage as long streets of soul and and then for all the guns to get stacked uh the stacked uh stacks were knocked over and only like 40 some muskets are left standing <laughs> and we were there i mean we had guys in my company that were going around counting those and so that's not bs <laughs> that's yeah i mean we saw it and all of us were just blown away by that and um yeah that, that was an honor to be part of that and i really think the way the program uh the way we set it up where we all charged towards plum run and only the survivors walked back that gave a good idea um Man, and i heard I, a I, ranger say that people were tearing up and and that did draw an emotional response that that was legitimately the only reenactment that I've ever witnessed that 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 literally gave me goosebumps. Yeah. When, when when you guys moved forward, and then right when you started out at at a run, and they they let out that roar, man, that sent chills up my spine. That was incredible, and I I I, I would like to take this opportunity to thank everybody who went out to that event and partook in it because it, it that was just, I, that was the, the most incredible thing that I've seen at Gettysburg uh, so far in the like 25 years of me coming yeah. here on a regular basis. That was just, that was amazing. Thank you all so much for doing that. I know it's not easy uh, being out and, 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 and just sucking at life in the middle of July wearing <laughs> wearing nothing but wool and, and getting pounded by the most god-awful rainstorm I've seen here. <laughs> that ended up being a tornado, by the way. Um, I, yeah, down on the south wow. end, there, there was a legit tornado, um, and it, it ripped up a couple of farms pretty good. But, Which uh, everything happened that the Park Service website said that were grounds for cancellation. Everything happened that was grounds for cancellation. Literally everything it happened in the space of about 15 minutes. And you guys ended up doing it anyways. I, it was it was so, so cool to watch. Um, oh, yeah. And I, I just really, I really just want to say thank you to everybody that that took part in that. I, I really appreciate some people coming out and, and doing it oh. right. Uh, amen to that and uh thank you for that and and yeah lots of spectators out there even amid the bad weather um that was really amazing and um wow yeah i i, I look forward to more opportunities like that and i know um i am planning uh if all goes well i'm going to do the one that they're doing in the cornfield at antietam um oh, yeah. in september so I'm looking forward to that, hopefully getting back up there. And uh, in the meantime, I got to work out and get more acclimated to the heat than I already am. And because uh, uh, it did, it did, uh, I barely survived this weekend. I barely survived. It. <laughs> I'm sure. So, but I appreciate it and it's worth it. It's always worth it. In the moment, sometimes I find myself in the moment, you know, I'm moaning and complaining and griping. But then when you're driving home, and when you're cleaning up afterward, like it, it hits you and you're like, 
that was special. That was something I'm going to be grateful. I did, you know, for the rest of my life, probably. So, um, thank you for that. And it was an honor to be part of that. Um, but wow. Well, this, again, thank you so much for your time, Eric. Uh, this is great. Um, I'm going to be posting this, uh, uploading it soon and I'll send you the link and, but um, I can't wait for people to hear this. This will be a really great episode. But but thanks so much for your time, Eric. No, oh, thanks for uh, thanks for inviting me on, Stephen. I really do appreciate it. I legitimately, <laughs> I, I do appreciate this. Oh, thank you, man. And um, we'll have to maybe discuss again because there's so much you could talk about in relation to Pennsylvania and the war. So uh, let me know when. <laughs> yeah, amen. Uh, here's two discussions in the future. <laughs> but, but wow, well, thanks again, man. And uh, again, for those of you listening, Eric uh, produces Addressing Gettysburg podcast. If you haven't heard of it, I don't know what's wrong with you. Same. Stop what you're doing and listen to the Addressing Gettysburg podcast. Um, right everybody now. loves Gettysburg. Do it now. Subscribe. There are several seasons of content now, so keep yourself busy for uh, the drive home from Gettysburg and, and beyond. So uh, thanks again, man. Uh, you have a good evening and uh, look forward to talking to you again sometime. Thanks, Stephen. So do I.